Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Menopause comes with a slew of symptoms, including mood swings, weight gain, brain fog, low libido, thinning hair, sagging skin, and insomnia. There's so much confusion when it comes to perimenopause and menopause and the best way to balance your hormones. Some doctors recommend taking estrogen and progesterones. Others say healthy diet's the way to go, and some tell us bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is the key. Then there's herbal products on the market and creams. It's so confusing, but all the confusion ends today. We have with us Dr. Kira Barr, leading authority on women's health. She's going to break through the most common misconceptions and share how to prevent and successfully treat menopause symptoms. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is an international speaker, best-selling author, clinical educator, and leading authority on women's health. She's a former assistant clinical professor at UC Davis in the Department of Dermatology and Pathology, editorial reviewer of multiple leading medical journals, medical advisor and researcher in several clinical trials. Her work has been featured in Mind Body Green, Better Homes and Gardens, Reader's Digest, Glamour, Self, Oprah Magazine, and more. She's on a mission to empower women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones during menopause. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kara Barr. Thank you so much. Excited to have this conversation. Oh, it's great to have you with us. Like I said, uh, our last uh, show on menopause was a big hit. It's a hot topic, which I'm stealing that from you. I like that <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that pun. <laughs> First, share with the listeners some of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to menopause. What are females doing wrong? Well, I think that the, the challenge is we don't know what we don't know. And I think the biggest misconception is that menopause is a period of time. It only happens to us when we're older. And I think, you know, the biggest lesson I learned is this concept of perimenopause, this phase of our life that can last anywhere from four years, upwards of 10 years before we actually hit that milestone, menopause, which is actually a single day in time. It's 12 months of the day after your last menstrual cycle. That's what menopause is. Everything before that is pre or perimenopause and everything after that is postmenopause. So I think, you know, women may not appreciate and, and they're, practitioners who are, who are serving them may not appreciate that women spend about a third of our lives in a hormone deficient state. So menopause, this, this phase of life can last quite a long time. So basically you're saying it's a 12 months of, of no menstrual cycle. That's menopause. So if it's like nine months and sh- then she has it, darn it, got to start the clock over, right? <laughs> right. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why women may experience a cessation of their menses even if they're not menopausal, right? And that's where, as you were talking about, um, there are so many different ways to approach this, but really starting with our lifestyle because stress, you know, and we oftentimes think of stress as emotional or psychological stress, but there are a lot of stressors in our environments, in our life, in our lifestyle that can impact our hormones as well. Yeah. Now, when you talk about hormones, what are the primary hormonal imbalances that females endure during and after menopause? Yes. So here's the thing. When we think about menopause, we typically think of our sex hormones, progesterone, estrogen, DHEA, testosterone. But really, there are, it's like a whole cascade of dominoes, right? If one hormone is out of balance, 
a lot of the other hormones get knocked out of balance as well. And so we have to consider also the other hormones like cortisol and insulin and even melatonin because melatonin is, you know, this the hormone, which is one of the most potent antioxidants that our body can produce. And it only is produced at night and women struggle with sleep. So it's, yes, when we think of menopause, we think of our sex hormones, but so many of other hormones are involved as well. Right. I know a lot of people are leery about going on hormone replacement therapy because they've heard it can increase their risk of getting cancer. What's your opinion? Are these fears warranted? Yes. Oh, I love this question. And this is one of the biggest misconceptions. And there is a wonderful resource um, that if women are interested in, in going a little bit deeper in this and just want to take a read on their own, there is a book called Estrogen Matters by Dr. Abram Blooming. He is an oncologist who really synthesized a lot of the literature that is out there. You know, the Women's Health Initiative study in the early 2000s, they put the fear of increased risk of stroke, heart attack, and breast cancer, and not only in the providers who were prescribing the hormones, but in the women who were receiving them. And there was a precipitous drop in women taking hormones. But here's the thing. We know that the initial study was flawed to begin with. And additional literature has and research has been done to show us that there's actually, for the vast majority of women, greater benefit of taking hormone replacement therapy than not taking it. In fact, studies have shown that there is a lower risk of um, recurrence in even in women who've had a history of breast cancer, those who receive hormone replacement therapy at a low risk of recurrence of breast cancer than those who don't. Interesting. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think women um, really need to understand every woman is unique and individual. Her history needs to be taken into account. But just because she has a family history or even a personal history of cancer, it doesn't mean that she can't receive hormone replenishment therapy. Right. So talk to us about bioidentical hormone replacement. Is this a better option compared to the traditional standard of care given by most medical doctors? So this is a very controversial topic. And when we talk about bioidentical, really what we're talking about is um, it is a synthetic hormone um, because it's made in the lab, but it is biochemically identical to what our own body produces. So, you know, depending on where in the world you are, where um, in the country you are, depending on, you know, providers, everyone's going to have a different opinion. Would biosimilar or bioidentical um, be easier for your body to process and recognize? Yes, perhaps. You know, I use bioidentical hormones. This is, you know, from my perspective, um, a good choice. But here's the thing. Women can benefit from estrogen and progesterone and, and the androgen replenishment. And if non-bioidentical is what's available and they're really struggling, I say then that's a good choice. Just like when with sunscreen, when someone asked me, what sunscreen should I use? I'm like, the one that you're going to use and put on your body. So I think, you know, for me personally, bioidentical is is preferable, but because women are struggling and they're miserable, and if it's available to you and it's not bioidentical and you're under the guidance of a doctor who really understands hormones and how to manage them and support you, then I say that could be a good option as well. Right. What about these herbal products on the market? You got black cohosh, the dong quai, dandelion, which are touted for balancing hormones. In your opinion, do any of these work? I think they can. Here's the thing. What those are addressing are the symptoms of hormones, and they may help um, 
balance out some of uh, the imbalances, especially with stress and other things, but they're not going to do what hormone replenishment therapy can do, right? Our body produces estrogen and progesterone and these androgens, testosterone, DHA. Those naturally are declining starting in our mid to late 30s. Progesterone really starts to precipitously drop. These herbals and botanicals can be very supportive, but they're not going to have the same impact that estrogen would by replenishing it. We need estrogen for cardiac health, brain health, bone health, mood, our gut microbiome, and our skin health. You know, estrogen plays a significant role in creating collagen and hyaluronic acid that gives us that youthful appearance and keeps our skin hydrated. So I think these herbals and botanicals can be supportive, but they can't have the same impact that hormone replenishment therapy would. Right. I had a patient who was emotional and crying all the time, and she asked if there was anything that uh, she could take. And I said, don't cry. And she said, I can't help it. I have to cry. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It's a true story. (laughs) Don't cry. (laughs) And laughter is really the best medicine. That's so funny. Let's talk about, I guess, the, the the big word, the elephant in the room, sex. It's assumed that with age comes a lack of libido, but I've had Suzanne Summers on the show several times, and she claims at age 74, thanks to bioidentical hormones, she still has sex every day, sometimes twice a day. Her husband uh, uh, collaborated, collaborated that and talked to us about sex drive, how uh, menopause doesn't mean having to permanently pause. I love that. And um, aspirational goals. Suzanne Summers. Yes, for all of us. And it's so true. Yes, as we are maturing and our hormone levels are diminishing, you know, estrogen as it declines, it does play a significant role, as I mentioned, in collagen formation and production of hyaluronic acid, which helps boost the hydration and skin, you know, as collagen production is declining, skin becomes thinner. And so the friction from sex can become uncomfortable. Women experience vaginal dryness. So yes, there's some symptoms that menopause can bring, but there are ways around that. There are wonderful products now on the market with lubrication and supplemental hormonal therapy. What happens is it's really mind. (laughs) There's a lot of mind chatter. Um, There's a lot of shifts and changes and it is a lot of stress and other things, you know, why don't we want sex? Because we've got 10 million other things on our mind. And this is where I teach actually about mindfulness. Um, you know, Dr. Lori Brado's work is amazing. She even wrote a book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness. We need to be in the present moment. And I think women, we are, there's a lot of shame about what's happening to our bodies and the shift. There's a lot of grief that we are now no longer of childbearing age. There's a lot of shifts and changes in addition to just the natural decline in, in hormones too. So there, there is no reason why women can't fully experience even more pleasure than they had before. There's no risk of getting pregnant. You know, like you can really live it up and have fun. Um, but there are some other challenges that present itself that women, um, they, they want to want it, but they don't want it. And a lot of that has to do with lifestyle factors and a lot of the emotional 
shifts that yeah. happen. Between the ears exactly. is the important. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta dress between the ears, and that makes a lot of sense. With guys, no, there's no between the ears. <laughs> if females between the ears, they've got to address that emotional component, and like you said, stress, worries, all that stuff has to be addressed, and that's uh, part of lifestyle. Talk to us about diet. We can't not discuss that. From your experience, should uh, females avoid certain foods or add certain foods to their diet that help? I love this question too. So I am of the philosophy, there are no good and bad foods, right? I am, um, there's some that are, are more supportive and really thinking of, you know, pleasure foods, power foods, foods that will make you feel like you want to feel and have the energy. So as we are maturing, one of the biggest challenges as we, um, our hormones are shifting is blood sugar dysregulation. So we really want to, and, and when our we're on this roller coaster of blood sugar spiking because we're eating simple carbs or a lot of processed foods um, that give us kind of that quick sugar spike, and then we crash. And so our energy is going up and down, and that also can contribute to worsening hot flashes. So it's kind of this vicious cycle. So from that perspective, I always encourage women to, you know, eat for how they want to feel. So if you want to feel energized, that means you're going to be filling your your plate with lots of uh, bright colored fruits and vegetables and eating more of a Mediterranean style diet, um, really cutting back on the processed foods because it's that quick pleasure, but then it brings a little bit of uh, low energy for the most of the time and can trigger those hot flashes. So I'm, I think everyone should enjoy life. I'm always about, you know, having that wine and chocolate is like my favorite prescription to give, right? Right. Resveratrol and, uh-huh. and great healthy polyphenols in the in the grape skins and and in the dark chocolate there are good nutrients as well. But upgrade your choices. Read your labels. If you can't pronounce what's what's on your food labels, it, your body's not going to know what to do with it. So that's my philosophy: is eat for how you want to feel, but eat as clean as you can so that you know what you're putting in your body. Right, and I got to stress, she said dark chocolate, folks, not this uh, white chocolate bar that has all the sugar in the milk in it. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah. actually, chocolate has theobromine, with dark chocolate actually helps you lose weight, which is another big issue with, you know, menopause is weight gain. I'm curious, why does gaining weight go hand in hand with menopause, and is there anything else that we need to, to, to address to combat it? So this is such an interesting question and, you know, and also women think that just by going on bioidentical hormones that they're going to gain weight and that's not necessarily true. Again, we have to look at every woman's unique lifestyle and circumstance. This is a big one where for me, when I work with women, the two biggest things that we look at are sleep and stress because there is, you know, our body works on a 24-hour cycle, your circadian rhythm, and we have to learn to work with our rhythm rather than against it. And at night, your two hormones um, that are most important that have a big impact, especially on our waistline, are our primary stress hormone, cortisol, and that really potent antioxidant, melatonin. At night, what we want is for that cortisol to be going down so we can get some rest, and then it has a nice curve and starts to rise in the morning so you can get up and go. The opposite for melatonin, you want it to rise in the evening and go down in the morning. You can get up and go. But what happens is that women always feel like they've got 10 million things to do. They burn the midnight oil. They're on their devices. They're trying to clean up. They're trying to do all the things, and they're not prioritizing their sleep. So now they're wired and tired, and they're shifting that curve. And their cortisol oftentimes is high at night, 
and their melatonin, which helps them repair all the damage from the day's activities, is not rising. And cortisol plays a significant role in that blood sugar regulation and with your insulin levels. And when your body thinks it's, it needs to get up and go and, and fight off whatever danger it, it real or perceived, that signals your body that it needs to release blood sugar, it needs energy. But if you're not using that energy, where is that all going to go? It's going to deposit as fat, you know, especially around that middle. So really learning, you know, understanding your environment and prioritizing sleep, blue blocking glasses. There's a lot of different strategies, but learning how to manage our stress to keep that stress hormone down and prioritizing sleep are probably the biggest factors contributing to midlife weight gain. Not, not, not the hormone replacement, not just because you're going into menopause. It's kind of like we lose sight of how to better best take care of ourselves because we're so used to serving others. So true. Yeah, I'm curious, you bring up a point that um, I have uh, patients who they exercise, they eat healthy, some do fasting, and they just can't lose weight. Once they have that menopause, it's just not coming off. And I've got a theory, I'm just going to throw it out and see, see what you think. I, I believe that these endocrine disruptors are partly to blame, and the plastic, the water, the food containers. What's your opinion? Because they're more prone with imbalances. Wouldn't these endocrine disruptors come on board and say, aha, she's weak, let's take over? Yeah, I factors contributing and that is one of uh, the keys that I always encourage women to look at is what are you using in your household whatever comes into contact with your skin is going to affect your health right so we need to look at our makeup products we need to look at our what we wash our clothes with what we clean our house with because there are so many ingredients and products that contain ingredients that can disrupt our hormones, especially this is a big deal with sunscreen as well, right? And this is something that people slather all over their bodies. So I do, I think that that makes a difference. The other thing is exercise. I'm a perfect example of this. I was an over-exerciser and you think more is better, right? You know, no pain, no gain. And unfortunately, that's not true. In fact, over-exercising could be you know, it's just as bad for our health as not exercising enough because it's jacking up that stress hormone cortisol. And so again, it's this vicious cycle that it could be working against your efforts and holding on to the weight rather than releasing it. Right. That's such a good point because I've read studies where exercise actually stimulates hunger. So you don't want to overdo it because it does make you eat more. <laughs> and that could be a, a double-edged sword if you're overdoing it, right? Because your body needs to replenish and it craves more food. Let me ask you this. What about uh, midlife uh, issues with brain fog, memory loss, trouble concentrating? Any advice you can share? Uh, the, the, or if you can remember, if you can't remember, then I can't ask you. <laughs> I love it. You know, a lot of where, um, you know, brain fog, there are, again, it's never just one thing. And this is where, you know, women can feel, I would hope sometimes we feel a little helpless, we feel a little hopeless, but because there are so many factors involved, especially with our diet, our lifestyle, how we move our body, how we sleep, there are a lot of things that you can do. And yes, brain fog as estrogen is declining, we know that estrogen plays a significant role in our brain health. And so that can contribute. The other thing is as progesterone is declining, especially the first hormone to start declining in our mid to late 30s, progesterone is the great calmer, right? It, it helps relax us. It plays a role and interplays with uh, GABA, the brain chemical that helps us relax. 
this is where women may start to feel a little bit more anxious. They may not be sleeping as well. And when you're not sleeping as well, that is going to make you feel a little bit more irritable. You're going to be a little bit more distracted, a little harder to focus. So that's a contributing factor. The other thing is, we, we kind of touched on it, diet. What are you eating? Are you eating foods that are going to actually fuel your brain? Or are you on like the coffee and wine diet, right? So to, coffee to get you going, wine to wind you down, but then that's creating challenges with your other hormones, the cortisol and the insulin. You're on that blood sugar roller coaster, which is going to potentially contribute to brain fog. So I'm always wanting to take a global approach to a woman as we are, as humans, we're very complex. <laughs> so we need to look at all the factors that could be contributing. Certainly our hormones, you know, estrogen plays a role, but it's not just, you know, just by replenishing estrogen, women still experience brain fog and they're still struggling with sleeplessness and anxiety. So we really need to look at the woman as a whole. Yeah. And, you know, I've been practicing now three decades, so I've seen patients grow up and I've seen females now they're in menopause and, and they're seen more stressed. And I know these people 20, 30 years ago, and it's like, uh, you know, you bring up stress as a big issue, but I don't, I think that they, they don't deal with stress as well. Cause I, I know them and I, they've changed. What can they do? Breathing techniques, uh, meditation, is there something where they can deal with the stress? I know stress is an issue, but how do they combat it? Yeah, this is a great question. And really, this has become the focus of the work that I do with women because what I was finding is that I was replenishing their hormones and they were still feeling stressed. They still weren't sleeping. They still were just feeling completely out of sorts. And here's the thing. Stress exists. And I think many of us struggle the most because we resist it. We think we shouldn't be feeling this way. And then we feel like there's something wrong with us. And then that just feeds the vicious cycle. It makes us more stressed. And so I would just invite every woman out there to realize, like, you're not alone. So many of us are going through this. And to have some grace for yourself. You are, your body is shifting. Things are changing. And it can be hard. But in terms of how to tactically deal with it, I always think of it like going shopping at the department store. You go out, you on the floor and you pick out like a bunch of clothes and like, Oh, that looks cute. That's good. You go into the changing room and you try it on. And some things are like, Oh no, this isn't going to work for me. So there are many, you know, like I like this and, and you just fill your toolbox with different tools. And so breathing techniques is probably the fastest, most effective thing that you can do because you don't have to do anything extra. I think, you know, this idea of meditating or journaling or doing yoga or, you know, they're all wonderful. But it's one more thing to add to your to-do list. Whereas breathing, you're already doing it. So I always start with, I always start with breath work, um, and it's simply just paying attention to how you're breathing. You know, when we're stressed out, a lot of us hold our breath, or we breathe very shallow, or we breathe in our chest, and really just that mindful awareness of how we're breathing can actually stimulate that relaxation response, trying to breathe, you know, doing a deep belly breath or breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth and just focusing on your breath can instantaneously stimulate that relaxation response and you know, stimulate that vagus nerve. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of different things, but breathing is probably the number one. Yeah, such a good point. I read where we only breathe in, in general 20% of our, our lung capacity. And it's so true. We just don't 
take that deep breath and fill the lungs up and that helps blood flow and circulation and it helps your heart rate. So, you know, it's such a good people think, well, breathing, we breathe all the time. No, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, my other favorite, uh-huh. yeah, my favorite, favorite thing to do is just like put on your favorite song and just, you know, you know, have a little dance party with yourself. I have a, I have a disco ball. My kids hate it, but like I'll just uh-huh. bring it out. <laughs> When you need it, you need it because just movement breaks up that physical tension and it can be, you know, just a few seconds even just shake things off, just shake it off. Good information. The minute minute or so we have left, is there anything else you'd like to share that we didn't cover today? I know we could keep going, but what would you like to share that we missed? I think we covered a lot. And I think the biggest thing is stress is such a huge component. And to your point, women often think that they're going to deal with that later, sleep and stress. But we really need to prioritize that first because we can't pour from an empty cup and we can't give to others and experience the pleasure and joy that we deserve if we don't take care of ourselves. So to all the ladies out there, like being taking care of yourself and self-care is not selfish. Well said. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so great. Thanks for enlightening our listeners. I'm sure uh, people took good notes on some proactive steps they can take to press pause on the symptoms of menopause. So, <laughs> I, I like. I think I gotta see if that's been used. I might have to patent that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To learn more about Dr. Kira Barr, go to drkirabar.com. Her name is spelled K-E-I-R-A-B-A-R-R. And while there, be sure and get your free guide on seven ways to reduce stress in less than seven minutes. Yes, stress is a big key, and she's got the answer on her website. And Dr. Barr is also offering a free consultation on how she can personally help guide you to naturally balancing your hormones, optimizing your lifestyle and mastering your mindset. If you would like Dr. Barr's one-on-one guidance, sign up for your free consultation today. You can follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Kara Barr. For my social media posts, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman, except on Instagram, where you can find me at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Barr share something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com. And peruse our podcast podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, and co-workers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.